Welcome to Episode 2 of the Dry Eye Coach Podcast on Reimbursement. Join me as I continue my discussion with Mike Berg, who is the Vice President of Regulatory and Reimbursement at Tier Lab, about how evidence-based medicine is a key part in understanding clinical value versus reimbursement. How do insurance companies you know, assess the payments that they're going to provide. I mean, and, and why is that different based on the payer? Yeah, that, that's the $100 million question. That's a, that's, I would say not one of our doctors understands this properly. It's very interesting that the only payer that actually assessed proper value for our test was Medicare. And the way they do this is what, because we have our own CPT code for our tear osmolality test, and the CPT code is issued by the American Medical Association. What happens is um, every time the AMA gives a new CPT code, CMS Medicare has an annual laboratory meeting. And, th- and th- again, this is specific to laboratory billing codes. has a laboratory meeting every July in which they assess what the proper payment would be for each of these new codes. And what happens is the stakeholders involved, and it could be a manufacturer, it could be a, a doctor, it could be a society <clears throat> whose who's, um, who's, uh, members are going to be involved with this test, will provide, uh, will provide information on the time, resources, and cost to perform the test. And what they do is they have what's called a crosswalk. And what they'll do is they'll say, well, this test is similar, excuse me very much, this test is similar to another test that has the same time or technology and resources and cost, and we pay that test X. And if we pay that test X, then we can pay this test X. So we went through that formal uh, review process with CMS, and they came up with the – $22.48 $22.48 as the proper payment for this test for, for the providers as a fair and equitable payment so that they could perform the test. However, that's not what happens with the commercial payers. <clears throat> the commercial payers, I would say none of them has ever done that formal analysis. And what the commercial payers do, and you got to remember that 95, 99% of all lab tests aren't done at the doctor's office. They're sent out to an outside resource, reference laboratory like Quest or LabCorp. And these, right. these um, laboratories are under contract to these big, huge insurance companies. And they go out for a negotiated bid. And if you get one of these contracts, it's worth hundreds of millions of dollars annually in, in revenue. So you can imagine it's very competitive. And what normally happens to get a big $100 million contract, they'll negotiate a discount. And they'll say to the payer, if you give me 100% of your business, I will do all your lab t- tests at a discounted rate of, of CMS. And sometimes these rates are, are very large, like a 40% or 60% of what Medicare pays. So at that point, they get the contract. And what United Healthcare or Aetna or Cigna will do is if the doctor wants to do the test himself, they'll say, hey, if you want to do the test yourself, Quest will do it or LabCorp will do it at 40% of Medicare. If you want to do it at 40% of Medicare, fine. Uh, but if you don't, then just send it to Quest or LabCorp and don't do the test yourself. Well, as we talked earlier, unfortunately, in eye care, that's not possible. The eye care right. physician doesn't have the um, opportunity to send it out. So they got to do the test themselves, and they actually have to incur those full expenses. 
So this is a problem um, with all of our providers. And this fee schedule with the discounted rate is actually found in every single provider contract uh, under a laboratory fee schedule. Now, most of our providers, when they signed their provider contract with the insurance company, didn't read this boilerplate language because they probably never did even consider doing laboratory tests. So whatever right. that negotiated discount was is in your provider contract. And unfortunately, that's what they live with today. So that's why you're seeing different reimbursement rates by different payers, uh, commercial payers, different from the CMS rate. Oh, that's uh, beautifully said. And it's almost like every time you get online and it's like, do you accept these terms? And we all just click yes. I mean, in, in yeah, order to be exactly. provider, you you know, you're going to sign the contract, you know, in spite of those things. And like you said, a lot of doctors are not anticipating that they're going to be doing any lab testing and don't understand why there's such a negative impact. Um, yeah, so and most talk, of these contracts, yeah. yeah, most of these contracts were signed years ago. And um, mm -hmm. the doctor, you know, in fact, when we bring this up to the doctors, more often than not, they don't even have a copy of their contract. No. They, even, no. they don't even know where it is. Yeah, much less what's in right. it. Yeah. Right. Right. So let's talk a little bit about CLIA reimbursement. Now, why is this so poorly understood within the industry? And and maybe some common mistakes that are made with CLIA tests versus reimbursement uh, of other dry tests. Well, yeah, that's, that's a good question also. So all these other tests that the doctor does for um, dry eye assessment or ocular surface assessment like staining and um, uh, um, tear breakup time and so forth aren't laboratory tests. They don't have to be certified to do those tests. And so those tests are often just bundled into the office visit. However, with uh, laboratory tests, this test is can only be done if you are under a certified lab. So as we said, the time and energy and resources to do these tests um, are completely different, so they have to be they have to be addressed differently than the payers that usually use to to address um, those standard tests that they do. Um, in addition, to get a CLIA license is something that the doctor has to go through and 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 obtain. Now, most uh, primary care physicians, other specialties, have these licenses already, but I care. Uh, practitioners don't because they've never done laboratory tests before. So they have right. to go through the process and there's not only federal but there's state regulations in some states to get these licenses. Um, for, and, and, the, and the doctor doesn't have the experience or the knowledge base of how to get that. Now fortunately they're not difficult. Uh, they're, they're relatively easy to get a CLIA certified license and it's not that expensive. Um, the federal uh, cost is about $150 every two years for, for the fee. And uh, there are some, in some states, there's some state costs, costs but again, they're, they're not significant. Um, TierLab actually has a reimbursement support uh, center for all of our customers. It's part of our service to our customers. And we hold um, our customers' hand and we help them fill out the forms and, and submit them and so they can get their certification um, when they order a test and become a customer with us. Right. So, you know, I can't help but think back to what you said about how we, you know, probably didn't either thoroughly read it or it wasn't applicable at the time. And, and it's even hard to go back and look at the contract that you've agreed to. You know, it sort of begs the question to me, is there a way to go backward? Is there a way to go back and get better reimbursement in your contract? Or are you sort of stuck with what you have? 
No, there, <laughs> there is a way to do it, but it's not easy. And uh, again, um, our cheer lab I like how you laugh. Team. I like how you laugh to start the to start the answer off. Well, so, so you know, it's funny. Box? I I live I live this world every single day, and it, it is ex- extremely frustrating. Uh, like I said, we have our own tier lab reimbursement support team, which are specialists that help our doctors not only on training the staff on how to bill properly and so forth, but when they have reimbursement issues that come up, denials and so forth, we assist with that. So we interface with the insurance companies on behalf of our customers on a regular basis, and trying to get these contracts renegotiated are extremely uh, complicated and difficult processes, but it's not impossible. <clears throat> the process is, is you need to get what's called a carve-out. And a carve-out is what you basically, how it sounds, is you take a specific procedure code, in this case it would be the tear osmolarity CPT code, <clears throat> and you just carve it out of the contract with different payment rules. Mm-hmm. And this is something, excuse me, and this is something that needs to be discussed on a case-by-case basis. Um, first of all, most doctors are adverse to renegotiate the provider contracts because it includes all different kinds of things, right? So we always limit to the discussion of a carve-out to just one specific CPT code, and nothing else will be um, in, involved, so it won't impact anything else in the practice. Then we have to go into discussion with the um, contract, um, the provider contract department, and explain to them why we want this carve-out. Now, that's not an easy discussion to have. Even getting to the right person to talk to is complex. But the discussion is becoming easier and easier because of the new guidelines that are out. Uh, the guidelines such as the ASCRS guideline, which now calls these essential tests, and the AAOPPP and the dues, as you mentioned earlier, now make these tests standard of care. And the argument we give to the payers is, look it, you already covered the test. You just don't pay enough for them. And if you don't pay enough for them, the doctor's not going to be able to afford to do the test, and the patient won't get the benefit of the clinical value of the test, which are now dictated in the guidelines as being essential and necessary. So that's the argument that we use with um, the payers. And if we can get to the right person and they actually are thinking, the benefit of their patients, then it is possible to open up these discussions and then ask for a carve-out and then go back in and say, what is the appropriate price for this test? And we normally defer to the CMS price because CMS did this formal analysis and their price is now considered the fair and equitable price to perform this test. Right, right. So I think this is perhaps the, my favorite question that I'm that I'm going to ask if I can have my own favorite question, Mike. If you'll indulge me with that, okay. but you know, I, th- I think this is this is something that I really would love to hear you address, and that's what are some of the biggest myths around around reimbursement rates for diagnostics and dry that you would like to have an opportunity to dispel? Yeah. Well, first of all. Um, when you, you're doing laboratory tests to measure biomarkers and tear fluid, they need to be separated from other office diagnostic testing that are done in the office, such as fundus cameras and breakup time and Shermer's and so forth, even mybography, uh, which are often bundled into the, uh, into the office visit. So the, not only the provider, but the patient and the payer all have to understand, if you want this type of data, if you want this type of information, you need to treat these tests separately 
than you normally do. And it may result in the doctor having to get a CLIA certificate and having some internal costs to perform laboratory tests in his office and may require the patient themselves to understand that this is a separate service and an advanced service that they're getting to help the doctor better identify and manage their, their condition. And again, as the payers, as I just mentioned, have to understand that these, these tests need to be handled and paid in a different man manner. The other thing is the, the laboratory tests, as I mentioned, need to be performed as a certified lab, and they need to fall under federal and state you know, guidance and regulations so that the physician and the place of service and their site of service can perform these tests, but they need to follow these types of regulations under under CLIA, and that's something that is very important for the uh, physician office to understand. Um, and finally, the, the, the one thing that's very interesting is that you don't even need an office visit to perform a laboratory test. And if you think about it, 90% of the tests are done at these outside labs and the patient isn't even present. So doing a laboratory test doesn't require an office visit, and this really, impacts um, the uh, optometrist more than anything else because these patients will be coming in for a vision visit, right? And the doctor wants to perform a laboratory test and the optometrist will say, well, wait, I can't do a medical test on the same day I can do um, a vision visit. And because the laboratory test doesn't even require a, a patient office visit, um, it can be done at the same time. So in optometry, it really makes a big difference between what can be done and what can't be done. And then, as right. I said earlier, finally, the payers must realize that the cost, time, and resources to form a laboratory test under the CLIA regulations need to be reimbursed at a rate that make it financially viable uh, or the patient efficient won't, uh, patient or physician won't have access to the essential um, right. um, laboratory data. You know, I think a lot of eye care providers are interested, they're leaning in, they're intrigued by point-of-care diagnostics. I think they encounter any point of confusion, or maybe not any point, but a few points of confusion, and it's the point where they pump the brakes and they perhaps don't circle back around to investigating it again because it just seems overwhelming. And, you know, not to oversimplify the, the chain of events, but it's really just making sure you have your appropriate CLIA waiver before you get started. You know, explain the testing on the front end to the patient, either through your office staff, your technician, to make sure that everyone's aligned in terms of insurance and coverage. Once the test is performed, which is going to give you that, you know, physiological marker that really no other test is going to provide in dry eye care, then the doctor has to thoroughly interpret the test as you laid out in those four points, which is important for uh, for facing an audit and, and succeeding. And then if you encounter trouble, don't, don't just quit doing the test. Contact uh, the folks at Tier Lab who have a support system in place to kind of help you uh, negotiate that. Is, that. is that a fair sort of streamlining or assessment of sort of the, some, some of the things that you've noted? Yes, absolutely. That's very, very fair. Um, I would say in conclusion that the first thing that the doctor needs to do is really understand the clinical value of the test and how it's Absolutely. going to impact his patient care, and then decide if the test is necessary for his practice or not. Uh, referencing the clinical guidelines is a big help to this and understanding those guidelines. And there's a few guidelines out there. So, for example, Schrogan's Syndrome Foundation has their own guidelines, and they indicate that the osmotic test can be used not only for advanced diagnostics, as we already talked about, but 
allows mm-hmm. the doctor to monitor therapy. Uh, the American Academy of Ophthalmology preferred practice pattern indicates that osmolarity is an earlier indicator of clinical signs. Not a bad feature when, you know, therapy is three to six months in duration and you need to know if it's working or not. And then, of course, the ASCRS algorithm, which we talked about, which is now considered essential for pre-diagnostic assessment of the ocular surface and being able to define if the ocular surface disease is what is termed visually significant or not, which is determinant whether surgery can proceed or, or not proceed. So only when the clinical value is realized, then assess the economics and work with your tier lab reimbursement support specialists, as we said, who can not only analyze the financial landscape of our tests in your specific market and will be able to tell you in not only in your market, but how your payer mix will, will pay for this test and how it will impact you financially. Well, Mike Berg, I really appreciate your time today. <clears throat> it was an excellent interview. I think reimbursement is one of the things that just, you know, remains ever mysterious to eye care providers. I think as soon as you think you've got it down, then you don't, and then everything sort of changes. You have to relearn. It is something that's constantly in flux and and, in motion. So I really appreciate your time today. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Whitney. It was my pleasure. I really enjoyed it myself. And thank you for joining us for Dry Eye Coach Podcast. We welcome you to try some of our others that are on iTunes and more to come. Thanks so much.